For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption. This is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. So yesterday on the show, I mentioned that I am certain Iran already has one nuclear bomb and uh, is quickly creating a second nuke that will be followed by a third and a fourth. So after the show, I received some lovely emails from a couple of fans. Uh, Iran doesn't have nuclear weapons, you lying piece of expletive. How dare you spread such lies? Uh, another fan called me a lying Zionist. Well, you got the second part right. I'm a Zionist. I am a Zionist. Uh, but here's why I believe I am certain Iran already has at least one nuke. And uh, no, there's not been a formal acknowledgement by Iran, nor by the Israeli government or by Joe Biden. Uh, but what about U.S. intelligence? Surely they must know. Well, it's quite likely U.S. intelligence is simply not good enough to be able to determine one way or the other. So there was a, a Defense Department study back in 2014 called the Assessment of Nuclear Monitoring and Verification Technologies. 
again, published nearly 10 years ago. We're talking January of uh, 2014. And it's by this Blue Ribbon Defense Science Board. It concluded the following. Closing the nation's global nuclear monitoring gaps should be a national priority. It will require, however, a level of commitment and sustainment we don't normally do well without a crisis. Monitoring for proliferation presents challenges for which current solutions are either inadequate or, more often, do not exist. Among these challenges are small inventories of weapons and materials, small nuclear enterprises designed to produce, store, and deploy only a small number of weapons, undeclared facilities, and or covert operations such as testing below detection thresholds, or acquisition of materials or weapons through theft or purchase, use of non-traditional technologies. So, the late Dr. Peter Vincent Pry. Uh, was chief of staff of Congressional Electromagnetic Pulse Commission uh, and an executive director of the Task Force on National and Homeland Security. He was uh, on a congressional advisory board trying to uh, achieve protection of the United States from EMPs, cyber warfare, mass destruction, terrorism. So a pretty uh, accomplished um, credentialed individual, director of the United States Nuclear Strategy Forum, so here's what Dr. Vincent Pry, Dr. Peter Vincent Pry, is saying about this uh, this uh, blue ribbon panel on U.S. intelligence. Essentially, he's saying it's tantamount to an admission that Iran probably already has the bomb. This is 2014, remember. He's saying they're basically admitting to us Iran has a bomb in 2014. Here's what else Dr. Peter Vincent Pry has to say or had to say, no longer with us, about the likelihood Iran has the bomb. Like the North Korean nuclear weapons program, Iran's nuclear weapons program is clandestine, mostly underground, mostly inaccessible to international inspections and impenetrable to U.S. national technical means. Most of what we know about Iran's nuclear program has been disclosed voluntarily by Tehran to the International Atomic Energy Agency. The U.S. Hasn't even or didn't even suspect Iran was working on the bomb until 20, or 2002, and the program was in operation for some 15 years. And he writes, we should know from our own experience that Iran probably already has the bomb. During its World War II Manhattan Project, when nuclear weapons were only a theoretical possibility and working with 1940s era technology, the U.S. built two atomic bombs of radically different design that both worked perfectly in a mere three years. Three years. So again, Dr. Pry writing this nearly 10 years ago. Think about that. Iran likely has had a bomb for nearly 10 years or longer. Why did the late Dr. Pry believe this to be true in 2014? He wrote, Iran has access to copious, unclassified information on nuclear weapon designs. They're helped by North Korea, Russia, China. And we're, we're, we're supposed to believe, he writes, that Iran, after 30 years of trying, has been unable to build a bomb. He says that is implausibly optimistic to believe that. 
North Korea developed its first nuclear weapons in no more than eight years. And unreported by the mainstream media are warnings that Iran might already have the bomb by such experts as former director of Central Intelligence James Woolsey, former chairman of the National Intelligence Council Fritz uh, Earmath, Earmarth, President Reagan's science advisor, Dr. William Graham, former director of the Defense Nuclear Agency, Vince, uh, Vice Admiral Robert Monroe, former director of the Strategic Defense Initiative, Ambassador Henry Cooper, Israeli intelligence officers, the latter going public in the Israeli newspaper Mariv in September of 2013. 2013. Historically, the U.S. intelligence community has underestimated and been surprised by foreign nuclear weapons programs. They were surprised by the first Soviet A-bomb test in 1949, by the Soviet H-bomb test in 1955. Oh, we didn't see that coming. By China's first nu nuclear test in 1964. By discovery after the 1991 Persian Gulf War that Iraq under Saddam Hussein was within six months of developing an atomic bomb. By Pakistan and India's nuclear tests in 1998. And of course, by North Korea's nuclear tests in 2006. Now, keep in mind, nuclear testing is not necessary to develop a nuclear weapon that's de de uh, deliverable by aircraft or missile. The U.S. Hiroshima bomb was not tested before use. Hiroshima was the test. Israel, South Africa, North Korea all developed nuclear weapons without nuclear testing. North Korea developed its first nuclear weapon by 1993 according to a declassified CIA report and Senate testimony by then-director of C uh, the CIA, James Woolsey. North Korea's first nuclear test years later, in 2006, was probably for political purposes. Nuclear blackmail of the U.S. and its allies, and to develop more sophisticated nuclear weapons. Iran and North Korea, keep in mind, are strategic partners, and by treaty and in practice, share science and technology. North Korean scientists are present in Iran, helping its missile and nuclear programs. Iranian scientists reportedly have been present at all three North Korean nuclear tests. So 10 years ago, Dr. Peter Vincent Pry, writing that a prudent U.S. foreign and defense policy would assume that Iran's nuclear weapons program is probably on par with North Korea's. So if Iran already has the bomb, why haven't they tested? Going back to um, was it Reagan's science advisor, Fritz Earmarth, thinks Iran is following the example of North Korea and probably wants to clandestinely build such robust capabilities so that its nuclear status will become irreversible. Hide your hand, in other words. Israel and South Africa never tested. They elected to pursue a, a policy of deliberate ambiguity to reach, uh, to reap and deterrence, sorry, to reap the deterrence benefits of being known nuclear weapon states while avoiding the international opprobrium of making their nuclear status official by testing. Pry, uh, Pry and his colleagues have concluded from analysis of Iranian and jihadi statements and writings that Tehran is not interested in the bomb for status or deterrence. The word deterrence doesn't even appear in their military writings about the bomb. It's all about nuclear use. In particular, a nuclear electromagnetic pulse. 
that would cause a, a protracted national blackout, potentially killing millions of Americans through starvation and societal collapse. So, for example, in their writings, if the world's industrial countries fail to devise effective ways to defend themselves against dangerous electronic assaults, then they will disintegrate within a few years. American soldiers would not be able to find food to eat, nor would they be able to fire a single shot. This is coming out of Iran. This is in their writings. The mullahs who ran or run Iran want the bomb for reasons of religious eschatology, having to do with the Shiite version of the apocalypse, the return of their 12th imam, and the, uh, the ultimate triumph of Islam in the secular and spiritual universe. In this version, or in this vision, the Jews and infidels, that's us, must convert or die. The Islamic bomb has nothing to do with deterrence theory or geostrategic calculations that Western nuclear strategists are familiar with. The mullahs have their own timetable for the apocalypse. They have a, a 12th imam conference in Tehran every year to study signs and portents. Their development of nuclear weapons and the failure of the West to stop them is itself interpreted as one of the miracles indicating the apocalypse is nigh. The possibility of nuclear EMP attack is another miracle as it destroys the high-tech society and weaponry that is the source of U.S. strength. And in this view, Western mainstream, uh, sorry, Western materialism and worship of the false god that is technology becomes our downfall. Iran has a bomb, at least one, probably more. To believe otherwise would be dangerously naive. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? All right, so I have, uh, I'm late. I've run out of time to tell you what's on this show, but uh, just know it's a good one. And it begins with Washington Times columnist Cheryl Chumley. She joins me next to discuss the very sad story of an 11-year-old boy pretending to be a girl, because in large part his parents have pushed him to believe that, and how he donned a flowery princess gown and served as the Grand Marshal of Orlando's pride parade to the clapping and cheering of thousands. Cheryl will uh, also discuss recent comments by Mossab Hassan Yosef, uh, Yosef rather, the son of Hamas founder Sheikh Hassan Yosef, who defected from the terrorist group and served as an Israeli spy for years. And he's warning the son of the founder of Hamas is warning Americans and the rest of the world how his father and his army wants to annihilate Jewish people and establish Sharia law around the world. That conversation begins in about three minutes. Coming to you live from Athens, the Richard Serrett Show, off and running for Wednesday, October 25th, in the year of our Lord, Facta Non Verba. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. Obviously, our greatest concern right now is this war in the Middle East and the likelihood that it's going to expand throughout the region and beyond, God forfend. However, there is another war here in uh, North America, the West, let's say. It's a war against parents. It's a war against children. It's a war against womanhood. It's a culture war, a non-shooting war, thank God. Uh, but it is a serious battle, the battle of a lifetime nonetheless. And uh, 
We're going to discuss that right now. Cheryl Chumley, online opinion editor, commentary writer, and host of the Bold and Blunt podcast for the Washington Times. And her latest book is Lockdown, the Socialist Plan to Take Away Your Freedom. Cheryl, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. So tell us about this poor young lad, uh, Dempsey Jara, 11 years old, uh, wearing this flowery gown in a uh, in a pride parade and being cheered by thousands. Yes, a boy. Okay, so this is a boy whose parents decided when he was age five that he made enough comments about wanting to be a girl that they started telling him, well, you can be a girl. And so he's been living as a girl, so much so that now he has become the youngest pride parade marshal in history. Uh, he was down in Orlando, which is one of the biggest pride parade events annually in the world. And he was a marshal and he was being cheered by the whole sickened crowd of LGBTQ mentally deranged individuals. And I just think at this time in history, it's time to start looking at parents. And this is child abuse when they're that young to tell a child that he or she can change gender or sex just by whim. And these children need to be taken from parents like that and put in homes that understand there are only two sexes. They're created by God and it's male and female and that's it. An 11-year-old doesn't know what gender is, doesn't understand sex, doesn't understand the difference. What does it mean to be a boy? What does it mean to be a girl? Uh, yeah, again, we, and, and, and lots of children are uh, uncomfortable in their bodies at a certain age, particularly as they approach adolescence. Uh, as you say, just to simply affirm that. And I know, you know, pe people have made light of this. Well, not light of it, but they've drawn the analogy. You know, if your son decides that he's a pirate one day, what are you going to do? Amputate, give him a peg leg and a hook hand and gouge out his eye and give him give him an eye patch to affirm his delusions. <laughs> um, Cheryl, give us a kind of a, a temperature of what's happening in America, because there have been some victories. Uh, I think there was a, a case in Wisconsin recently where the courts you know, ruled that uh, parents must be notified if their child is in school and is is gender confused, let's say. Uh, and then we have this situation. I mean, where are we in this titanic battle? Well, I know that there have been a few wins around the nation, but only a few wins. And if you even have one loss like this, it's huge because it shows that the culture is on board with open deception. The only way to look at telling a small child that he or she can be the opposite sex and think that's right is to live in denial, live in delusion, and to be doing the work of evil. It's just, it's an utmost travesty that we are in this United States of America right now, allowing our children to be exploited by the LGBTQ crowd, which is basically sexually grooming children for their own uses down the line for political ambitions and to normalize something that is outright and utterly abnormal. You know, the irony here is um, that many uh, children who are gender confused, they're not realizing what's happening. Many just grow out of it. You know, we know we're all familiar with tomboys and, and, and so forth. Um, but but many of these children grow up to be uh, gays and lesbians. So in a in a in effect, by the with the LGBTQ joining or the LGB joining forces with the Q and the T and the plus and the so forth, they're really 
participating in the erasure of gays and Jews. Sorry, not gays and Jews, gays and lesbians. I mean, I think you could make a case for that. And just to speak uh, really quickly to your point about tomboys, uh, you're speaking to one right now. When I was younger, I played uh, baseball with boys. I played uh, sports with young men when I was in college and in the military. Uh, I was I was a mechanic. I was a diesel mechanic, which was male-dominated field. So for a good portion of my life, I did what... Uh, these leftists would call manly things or boyish things. And by their reckoning, I should have changed early on in life to become a boy. Well, guess what? Not everybody has the same interests, but it doesn't change your sex. It doesn't change what God made you to be. And parents do a massive disservice and massive damage to their children by not sticking with biblical values and telling them who they are in God and telling them that they are a boy if they're a boy and they're a girl if they're a girl and just letting things progress naturally from there. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Cheryl, we'll uh, come back and I want to talk to you, your thoughts. I know you wrote about this recently. The uh, the son of the Hamas uh, founder uh, who served as a spy for Israel uh, for, for many, many years, went undercover in Hamas, uh, issuing a dire warning to the West. I want to get your thoughts on that. Cheryl Chumley stays with us online opinion editor, commentary writer with The Washington Times and uh, her book, Lockdown, The Socialist Plan to Take Away Your Freedom. Back with more of our conversation right here on News Talk Saga 960. Let's get back at it on News Talk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Mosab Hassan Yosef is uh, the son of Hamas founder Sheikh Hassan Yosef. And Musab Hassan Yosef, uh, often referred to as the Green Prince, spied on Hamas for Israel between 1997 and 2007. And his intelligence prevented suicide bomb attacks and uh, other strikes. I want you to listen to this clip. He recently appeared. Well, he did the the media rounds. He was on Fox News. And here he is speaking with CNN's Jake Tapper. Uh, This is uh, this is profound. Have a listen. You know, the United States need to give Israel the necessary cover to uproot Hamas. You know, Israel is fighting on behalf of America. Israel is fighting on behalf of the Palestinian people. Israel now is fighting on behalf of the free world. This is not a political propaganda. I, uh, as an ex-Hamas member, the son of the founder of Hamas organization, and today as an American citizen, I ask the President of the United States to give Israel the necessary cover, the necessary supply, whatever it takes to uproot Hamas. Otherwise, the next war is going to be deadlier. There you go. That's uh, pretty chilling stuff from Mossab Hassan Yosef. Cheryl Chumley stays with us, online opinion editor, commentary writer, host of the Bold and Blunt podcast for The Washington Times. You wrote about this recently. Um what, what, what is your takeaway from uh, the Green Prince and, and uh, his warnings to the West? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. 
Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Well, I think he's dead on. And one of the more interesting remarks that he made also was to come out and call uh, Hamas a terrorist group, but also based on their religious beliefs. He calls this a religious war and he calls uh, other similar acts of terrorism from the radical Islamic world based in religious beliefs. And that's something that, first off, we should all recognize and embrace as truth. And second off, we in America should definitely, through this White House, make that message and narrative clear as well. If you don't name your enemy and call out your enemy with truth, then the enemy is able to exploit the sidestepping and the goose stepping that you do as weakness. And this is exactly what's happened under this administration and the previous Barack Obama administration. They don't want to call terrorism as it is based in religious ideology. And that puts us in a spot of weakness to actually fight effectively. Particularly when you're trying to find a political solution when there is none, because, again, it's yes. it's driven by uh, fanaticism, religious fanaticism. They want to bring about the 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 the, the Islamist version of the, the apocalypse and the return of the 12th Imam. I was pointing out earlier in Iran, they meet, they have regular like monthly conferences on, you know, signs, the mullahs, signs that the 12th Imam's return is imminent. And uh, this is what we're dealing with. It is what we're dealing with. And our failure to to acknowledge that in this White House uh, puts us in a, a dangerous position because we aren't able to effectively fight uh, to defend our own nation from similar attacks or on behalf of our allies. And I'm sure Israel would like us to be a little bit more uh, bold and truthful about the roots of radical terrorism. Yeah, and we and the distinction needs to be made between the Islamists. Those are the these are the the, the fanatics. We're not talking about Muslims in general. We're talking about Islamists uh, who want to impose, you know, worldwide jihad, worldwide Sharia. Uh, they want to they want to build their caliphate on the rubble of Israel and and not stop there. I mean, he's he's warning. This is just the beginning. They're not stopping with Israel. Correct. Correct. And we need to also recognize that a lot of this starts in the mosques, a lot of the planning, a lot of the the generating, the the hype and so forth and recruitment uh, of these jihadists goes forth in the mosques. And here in America, we just went through a big scandal where we found out that our deep state and our government was sending in spies in Catholic churches here to root out what they saw as potential terrorists. Well, they're way off the mark when they're looking at the Christian faith and leaving out the radical Islamists in terms of trying to uncover and discover uh, terrorists. Right, because the, the moderate Muslims are considered just as much an infidel to these Islamists as the Christians and the Jews. And and uh, uh, Yosef pointed out when, you know, this war is also to protect 
Palestinians, the, you know, the, the Palestinians who just want what the rest of us want, peace and an education for their kids and opportunity and security. Uh, this is true, though it's very difficult from this side of of uh, the world to look at Gaza and look at Hamas and the terrorists there and to really draw a clear line between peaceful Palestinians and those who support Hamas or groups like Hamas, because 52 percent of Palestinians voted for Hamas. And of those who didn't vote for Hamas, uh, another 85 percent support terror-minded groups like Lion's Den, and there's another group, PLN, I believe is the name, where their ultimate goal is to eradicate the Jewish state. So it's very difficult, though, to distinguish the peaceful Palestinians, the peaceful Muslims versus the radical ones, because the peaceful ones, in my view, don't seem to speak up as much as they ought to. And perhaps that's out of fear, but it does make it difficult from our, from, from, the standpoint of Americans to be able to tell the difference. All right, Cheryl, we'll take one final time. I'll come back, discuss this further. I know we didn't plan on this, but I do want to get um, your your take on the election to. Uh, well, they've given the gavel to yep. Congre- uh, Republican Representative Mike Johnson and, yes. uh, and all of the Republicans voted for him. Of course, all the Democrats did not. But uh, he's the new speaker on one vote. After three weeks without a speaker, the United States has a speaker. We'll uh, we'll get to that as well. Cheryl Chumley stays with us, online opinion editor and uh, host of the Bold and Blunt podcast for The Washington Times. We'll tell you how you can listen as well. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. All right, welcome back. Coming up next... The cult of climate change. Every Wednesday, we push back against the death cult of climate change. Tony Heller uh, will be here, founder of RealClimateScience.com. Cheryl Chumley stays with us, online opinion editor with The Washington Times, host of The Bold and Blunt. How do we listen, Cheryl? Go to WashingtonTimes.com and you, you can subscribe there or you can get Bold and Blunt wherever podcasts are offered. Thank you for that. My pleasure. Well, we were talking about the son of Hamas uh, founder. They call him the Green Prince, who spied on behalf of Israel against Hamas, um, Mossab Hassan Yosef, warning that, um, this, you know, Israel is just the beginning, that Hamas, uh, this is a religious war. It's There's no point in trying to negotiate. It's not about establishing borders and so forth. They want to institute a worldwide, a global jihad, a global uh, Islamic state. So... In, in your estimation, what is the best way for Israel to uh, to deal with this? I mean, is a ground invasion enough? Um, do they have to? I mean, I believe Iran has already has a nuclear uh, bomb. Uh, James Woolsey, former CIA director, said so many years ago. Uh, others have, have, you know, in intelligence have said, yeah, they do. Uh, it would be foolish and naive to think that they don't at this point. I, I mean, how do they handle that? And it's a huge question, but what what are your thoughts? Well, I, I'm sure 
Israel wishes they had in the White House Donald Trump right now, because it would certainly make their job easier in terms of sending a message of absolute strength and alliance with one of the biggest and most powerful militaries in the world, ours. Because right now, Joe Biden has gone to Israel. And in my view, it was more a photo op. He didn't do much except sort of send the message that Israel should slow walk sending its troops into Gaza in order to allow America and Israel to get the hostages out, which if I'm Israel, every day that goes by, it only strengthens Hamas's position. It only gives Iran more time to uh, create the alliances needed to do uh, more than one attack, one one locality. Uh, if you're looking at Gaza, you also have to think of Hezbollah next. And so if Israel... If Israel delays much longer, I think they're going to have a harder time eradicating Hamas, which is their goal and which I think should be their goal until it's until it's achieved. We often hear this phrase, you know, but for, they have to go. They have to get to the head of the snake, which is Iran. Iran is sponsoring Hamas and Hezbollah. If Iran has a, a nuke, at least one, and I, I believe that they do. Uh, I mean, you know, back in, in 81, the Israeli Air Force destroyed the, uh, the nuclear reactor in Iraq. Uh, it's not going to be easy this time. This, you know, their facilities are deep, deep underground. Um, I mean, if if they try and they fail, that's going to be a, you know, obviously a, a huge provocation. It could spiral out of control. Um, what what is to be done? Well, Israel already had some sort of intel failure, right, which was a little bit shocking given that they are top in the world for security and for technology and supposedly intelligence. And so between what must have been America's intel failure combined with Israel's intel failure, I think first and foremost, they have to address that, which I'm sure that they have and are continuing to do so. As far as my advising what Israel should do, uh, these people are tops in the world in terms of defense. And you can see that just by the small uh, piece of land that they have surrounded by enemies who want nothing more than to eradicate them from the world. And they continue to stand strong and have for over 50 years in their nation. But I would say if I were in Israel, my number one goal right now would be to take out Hamas and to get the hostages returned home. And I don't have the intel that Israel has to know how to recommend doing that. But I think that they should stay focused on that goal. And Iran, I'm sure that they have some behind scenes intel that is looking at ways to sabotage Iran's power and so forth right now as well. All right. Uh, a quick word from you on the election of Representative Mike Johnson from Louisiana as the new speaker of the House after three weeks. You've got a new speaker. Um your thoughts on, on Mike Johnson? Is he is he a patriot? Is he a Trump supporter? It's interesting. Mike Johnson is at least as conservative as Jim Jordan, who is the one I supported, uh, is. He's from Louisiana, which makes him, uh, you know, a, an old old-timey, hardcore Republican, conservative down there. He actually uh, coalesced behind the Trump call for uh, an election recount, so he is on board with that. He is uh, a conservative, and he's a little bit fiery, so I think he's somebody, and in addition, he's a constitutional attorney, which God knows we need a little bit more of constitutional from a conservative perspective in our members of Congress right now. So I think all in all, it's a win for conservatism. 
I mean, I, I can see, you know, why the, the, the Freedom Caucus and Matt Gates and others would be all on board with a Mike Johnson. But what about the, the ones that held out, uh, you know, those people on the appropriations uh, committees and, and uh, defense committees and so forth who voted against Jim Jordan? Why would they suddenly vote for a, a, an ardent Trump supporter in Mike Johnson? What, 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 what changed? That is a very good question. And I can only guess that Jim Jordan must have created some enemies uh, somewhere along the way in um, Capitol Hill, which wouldn't surprise me because he doesn't really shy from speaking his mind. In the end, though, it's good to finally have leadership. Uh, I think that it took way too long because we put too much stock in the position of speaker. Those holdouts who didn't want to vote for Jim Jordan, it wasn't as if the speaker has carte blanche to do whatever he or she wants. They should have voted for him so he could direct. Uh, it, it would have been a bone for the conservative base in the Republican Party, the Trump supporters. But it also would have still allowed those with differing opinions to go forth with their policy disagreements. It's not like Jordan would have been the final say on anything. So it's good to put an end to this debacle, though. I'm sure the Dems were wringing their hands with glee at this debacle, as you say. Uh, <laughs> I think that this, the, the fact that this took three weeks and uh, is this going to hurt the Republicans' chances uh, uh, to consolidate their, their majority in the House and win the Senate in 2024? I don't think so. I think that would be a, a media creation, right? I think the media might create that narrative and sort of uh, poke holes in, in hopes of drumming up some sort of discord. But I think now that there is a speaker in place, that conservatives, Republicans in Congress, in the House are ready to get to work and they're going to coalesce behind their new leader. Cheryl Chumley, online opinion editor, commentary writer, and host of the Bold and Blunt podcast for The Washington Times. Once again, how do we listen? Uh, go to WashingtonTimes.com and subscribe to it there or go wherever you get your podcasts and find it there. Cheryl, great speaking with you again. Uh, I look forward to more conversations. Thank you. Thank you. All right. The Cult of Climate Change. When we come back, the Richard Serrett Show continues after this timeout right here on News Talk Saga 960. Back to the conversation on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right. Welcome back. Uh, not expecting to do open lines. Uh, Tony Heller, founder of RealClimateScience.com. Not here, not available. But uh, well, he's got a house full of puppies, <laughs> right? So I'm sure they're keeping him awfully busy. I'm sure those puppies are getting, what does he have? Jacob, do you remember? Did he say he had four puppies? Plus he's got another, I think, four adult dogs. Uh, and he's got one dog that's like 16, requires medical attention. 24-hour care. So Tony's running around like crazy, dealing with, dealing with puppies and dogs and, and so forth. So um, no uh, cult of climate change today, which is unfortunate. Uh, we'll get around to this next week, I guess. But I wanted to ask him about this headline I saw. 38% of, of cars in 1938 were electric. Am I reading that correctly? Excuse me. 38% of, of cars in 1938 were electric. And what 
percentage today are electric worldwide. I think it's 2.2. Hmm. What happened? What happened? All right. 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600. You can call or you can text. It's a good opportunity uh, just to let you know what's coming up in the show uh, for the, the for hour two, because I was uh, blathering on in, during my monologue uh, during. Uh, and that's when I usually tell you what's coming up. And I didn't have time, but there was important stuff to discuss. Uh, but in the um, second hour, Dick Morris returns to the program, New York Times bestselling author. And um, he has been. Described as one of the most prominent political consultants in the United States. He's been called the most influential private citizen in America. He was, uh, that was by Time Magazine, for what it's worth. Uh, he was the chief strategist for Bill Clinton's reelection campaign and now serves as an advisor to former President Donald Trump. Uh, just, you know, 10 New York Times bestsellers and uh, the latest. The latest is called Corrupt, the Inside Story of Biden's Dark Money. So uh, stay tuned for that in hour two. He's our feature interview. Joe Warmington from the Toronto Sun will be here. Uh, we'll talk about this CTV news writer who uh, I guess caught on social media calling for an end of the Israeli state. A CTV news writer. And apparently there's something happening at Queen's Park at seven o'clock tonight. It's called Glory to Our Martyr Vigil. Glory to Our Martyrs Vigil. The website is uh, copink.org. So I guess we're going to see a a number of people showing up at Queen's Park in just uh, over an hour celebrating Hamas, perhaps. I don't know. Joe Warmington will give us the details. And um, because it's Wednesday, last order of business, we take a look at this week in rock history. Some days it's this day in rock history, but um, kind of slim pickings uh, on this day in rock history. So we're going to just take a look at the week in rock history with Jeremiah Tittle, who is co-host of a fabulous podcast called The 500 with Josh Adam Myers. Uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of. I don't know. It's not breaking with format. I don't I don't look at it that way, but I just I can't I can't handle. Nothing but doom and gloom, and I don't think you can either. Occasionally, we need a little bit of a respite, a break. And so I like to, uh, you know, sometimes we talk about what's happening in the night sky. Nothing controversial about that. Not going to get any angry emails about that. Who can argue with. uh, Talking about rock and roll. All right, 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600. You can call or you can text. In my monologue, I was talking about why I believe Iran has, I'm certain Iran has at least one nuclear bomb. And um, I mentioned former CIA director James Woolsey. He too believes Iran has a nuclear bomb. This is... um, a piece he wrote for the National Review back in 2021. Again, James Woolsey, former CIA director. Washington's policymakers are being misled by the intelligence and defense communities that are grossly underestimating the nuclear threat from Iran, just as they did with North Korea. Washington's mainstream worst-case thinking 
assumes Iran does not yet have atomic weapons, but could break out to crash, develop one or a few A-bombs in a year, which the intelligence community would supposedly detect in time for warning and preventative measures. Rowan Scarborough recently reported in the Washington Times that during a private talk in July 2017, before a Japanese-U.S. audience, the Pentagon's director of net assessment, James H. Baker, briefed that Iran, if it chooses, may safely possess a nuclear weapon in 10 to 15 years' time. Another mainstream worst case view is that Iran could abide by the Obama administration's joint comprehensive plan of action and legitimately glide toward nuclear weapons capability in 10 to 15 years. Of course, the uh, the Trump administration rightly canceled the JCPOA for legitimate reasons, but the Biden and his administration is trying to revive that. Again, this is James Woolsey, former CIA director. In contrast to these views, we warned in these pages in February 2016 that Iran probably already had atomic weapons deliverable by missile and satellite in 2016. When our World War II Manhattan Project reached this stage, the U.S. was only months away from making the first atomic bombs. This was Iran's status 18 years ago. And the Manhattan Project employed 1940s era technology to invent and use the first atomic weapons in only three years, beginning from a purely theoretical understanding. So, <clears throat> excuse me. By, t- <clears throat> 2000, by 2003, Iran was already a threshold nuclear missile state. But for at least the last decade, the intelligence community has annually assessed that Iran could build atomic weapons in one year or less. On the other hand, less than a month ago, excuse me. Uh, On the other hand, less than a month ago, independent analysts at the Institute for Science and International Security assessed that Iran had a breakout time of as short as three months for its first nuclear weapon and five months for a second. There is no reason to believe U.S. and IAEA intelligence capabilities are so perfect they can assuredly detect Iran's clandestine efforts to build atomic weapons. Indeed, the U.S. and IAEA, that's the uh, International Atomic Energy Agency, did not even know about Iran's clandestine nuclear weapons program until Iranian dissidents exposed it in 2002. He writes, contrary to mainstream thinking, Iran can build sophisticated nuclear weapons by relying on component testing without nuclear testing. The U.S., Israel, Pakistan and India have all used the component testing approach. IAEA inspections are limited to civilian sites and restricted from military bases, including several highly suspicious underground facilities where Iran's nuclear weapons program almost certainly continues clandestinely. The U.S. intelligence assessment that Iran suspended its nuclear weapons program in 2003 is contradicted both by Iran's nuclear archives stolen by Israel in 2018, indicating Iran's ongoing nuclear weapons program at several sites in 2006, 2017, and 2019, and by Iran's rapid resumption of enriching uranium to prohibited levels. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. 
Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Iran's nuclear and uh, missile programs are not just indigenous, but are helped significantly by Russia, China, North Korea, and probably Pakistan. Then this again is uh, the former CIA director, James Woolsey, writing in 2021. Is, uh, Iran probably had nukes back in 2016. They're not for deterrence, folks. They don't care about deterrence. They are for the destruction of the West. All right. Hour two awaits. Dick Morris will be here to talk about the Biden crime family. Joe Warmington from the Toronto Sun and This Week in Rock History. Back with more of the Richard Serrett Show. Hour two coming your way in about six minutes. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption. This is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Meaning we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. Welcome to Hour 2 of The Richard Serrett Show. And if you missed Hour 1, shame for shame. What is wrong with you people? (laughs) That's all right. We've got a lot of uh, great programming coming your way, including This Week in Rock History, Last Order of Business with our good buddy, Jeremiah Tittle. I think I'm just going to start calling him JT. JT is the co-host of The 500 Podcast. Check it out. It's terrific. They count down the uh, every week. They count down the top uh, one of the top 500 albums of all time as listed by Rolling Stone magazine. So do the math. That's 500 episodes right there. And but they, it's a little more interesting than that. They don't just you know, it's not a laundry list. They talk about the album in depth and then they bring on special guests, comedians, other musicians, actors to talk about why, let's say, I don't know, Sergeant Pepper's. Lonely Hearts Club Band was so important to them and what they like about the album and, and so forth. JT, Jeremiah Tittle, will be here. Joe Warmington from the Toronto Sun. Uh, I had intended, Jacob asks, aren't you going to start calling him JT? Haven't you called him that for the past two months? <laughs> Have I? I don't know. I don't know. I'm on the precipice of 60, Jacob. Give me a break. I can't remember what I had for breakfast. Um. 
Joe Warmington, Toronto's son, will be here. We were going to talk about the CTV news writer who has joined the ranks of the, um, well, she's calling for the end of Israel, the destruction of Israel. Someone who writes for a, uh, a news outlet, the, a major network. But uh, we'll, we'll touch on that. But there's also something else happening uh, in Toronto tonight at 7 o'clock in just uh, a couple hours from now at Queen's Park. The, um, what is it called? Glory of our martyrs vigil. What does that sound like to you? Martyrs. Martyrs. What are martyrs? These are people that died, but they died heroes fighting for a cause. What do you think that causes? The destruction of Israel, perhaps? I don't know. We'll get the goods from Joe Warmington. Uh, Greek frosted flakes. Is that what I had for breakfast, <laughs> Jacob? <laughs> Actually, I just remembered. I don't eat breakfast. Anyway, um, Dick Morris is supposed to be with us, and uh, Jacob is working on it. Oh, we do have him. Let me just tell you about uh, this new book. It's um, we're gonna we're gonna unpack the the Biden crime family and how it works. Dick Morris, New York Times bestselling author, winning presidential strategist, was uh, Bill Clinton's reelection campaign. Chief strategist, now as an advisor to President Trump, 10 times best-selling author with, with the New York Times, uh, including Armageddon, How Trump Could Beat Hillary, and The Return, Trump's big 2024 comeback. The newest one is called Corrupt, The Inside Story of Biden's Dark Money. Dick Morris, welcome back. How are you? Good to be here. I'm glad you called him JT, not JC. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, so let's I know, you know, time is tight here and this is uh, it, it's a very it's a labyrinth, I'm guessing, of, you know, um, shell companies and so forth. But do your best to explain how this Biden crime family, whether we're talking pay for play or shake shaking down dictators or I don't know how it works, but explain sort of the, the who, what, why and when of how this money basically flows through and ends up in Grampy Joe Biden's pockets. Well, it's a little bit like in the 16th and 15th century. European monarchs would send their daughters all over the world to get married, to bring in dowries and alliances with other countries. So Joe Biden sent his uh, his brothers and his nieces and nephews around the world to do that. And uh, they went to all kinds of countries, made constant business deals, the common denominator was trading on Biden's name and his influence to make a lot of money and then split it up with Joe. And um, we've, we've just heard on TV this, yesterday, I think, about the $200,000 that James Biden paid to Joe. Yes. Well, that's just one of a number of examples. One of the ones I reveal in this book is that James owed the federal government $500,000 in a tax lien. And uh, couldn't pay it. So uh, Joe Biden went and got the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, a government agency, to lend a million dollars to a guy named John Hyansky, who was one of Biden's close friends in Delaware. And Hyansky then turned around and cut a check for half a million dollars to James, and the tax lien went away. That's a whole uh -huh. series of deals like that, rebound deals. But the, so, the most interesting thing in the book is that I talk about what Biden got 
from what, what China got from Biden. We, we're getting, we're learning what Biden got from China. But what policy changes did Biden make to benefit China? How did he help China, often at the expense of the U.S.? And the first big thing is COVID. They got away with that scot-free, without opening their labs, without letting the uh, WHO interview any of their employees, without any investigation at all. And this was probably the greatest crime against humanity since the Holocaust. Seven million dead, including a million Americans. And the China has absolutely stonewalled any investigation. My own theory, which a lot of people agree with, is that this was a biological weapon that China developed to use against the United States. And accidentally, perhaps on purpose, it leaked out. And while 120,000 uh, Chinese died, um, uh, 100,000 Americans, I'm, I'm sorry, while, while 120,000 Chinese died, one million Americans did, and it completely crippled America's economy and America's uh, ascendancy. And I believe this was a deliberate act of biological warfare by China. And Biden has not investigated, not sought reparations from them, and not sought any kind of accountability. Do you think that Biden also allowed Chinese spies into the United States as part of that uh, uh Pay for play? Absolutely. There are 323,000 uh, Chinese students studying at U.S. universities. And uh, there have been dozens and dozens of instances of espionage tied to that. In fact, China briefs them before they leave on what they have to do to generate information. And then when they come back, they're debriefed. But what I find most interesting is the Republicans in Congress introduced an amendment to the appropriations bill to require screening of the of those students to make sure that there was no compromising of intelligence information and uh, directed a special program to investigate Chinese espionage through the exchange students. Biden vetoed the bill because he said this was unfairly singling out Chinese people. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's very important. China, what about uh, uh, what about military bases in Cuba? China now has them. I mean, I can't imagine that happening under Donald Trump. Yeah, well, that's the Cuban Missile Crisis that almost caused the World War in 62, only in fact coming to be now. And uh, that's, that's just one of the bases. China at the moment has only one overseas military base, but they're opening six more. And they have this program called the Belt and Road Initiative to open more all over the place. But the other thing that I talk about a lot here is getting rid of the gold standard and kicking the dollar out as the uh, main currency in the world, uh, replacing the dollar with this group of BRICS currencies, a, a group of other countries led by China. And China has been working overtime at doing that. And you don't hear any response from Biden no sanctions, no speeches against them, no reparations, nothing. They're just permitted to go scot-free trying to end the United States' as dollar supremacy. Another good example is that all the other countries of the world have had to sign the Paris Accords on climate change and agree to cut their emissions. China refuses to. Uh, it says it will not make any cuts until 2030. And uh, it says the reason is it's a developing country and should be entitled to pollute while it's catching up with the rest of the world. 
So we all have to have our economy hobbled, our development attenuated, but China gets away with it completely free. And free other, in exchange for $30 million to the Biden crime family. That's right. And the other big thing is that you've heard that these, these rare earth minerals, they call them, are essential for solar batteries, for GPS, for radar, for any missile guidance system. And the United States had a monopoly on them. But then China took it away because our regulators said that they that they're that they include classified material and dangerous radioactive material. In fact, the rare earth minerals don't. They simply are found next to uranium. So the UN is attempting to regulate that, and that has driven the American suppliers out of business. And now China is the only place that mines rare earth minerals. And Biden just vetoed an American plant that would have replaced a lot of that Chinese stuff in Minnesota because he was protecting a lake. So whatever his excuses are, he has completely let China off the hook for every important decision that they've made. Isn't that treason? Is that treason? Yeah, I think it is. I think that we're dealing not here with corruption here, but with treason. Uh, if if I, corruption is when a sewer contractor makes a lot of money from the contract because he pays off the politician that awards it. Treason is when our leading global adversary secures significant military and technological advantages over the United States through the traitorous acts of one of our citizens, be it the president or anybody else. All right, um, Dick, we'll take a quick time out and come back and discuss the Corrupt crime family, the Biden crime family. Dick Morris, host of the uh, uh, Dick Morris Democracy, regular commentator commentator on Newsmax TV, and uh, has been described by Time Magazine as um, one of the most influential private citizens in America. Back with more of our conversation in three minutes. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga nine sixty AM. Corrupt, the inside story of Biden's dark money. Dick Morris, New York Times bestselling author. Um, It's not just China, though, uh, Dick. It's Ukraine. It's Moscow. It's Iraq. It's Kazakhstan. It's Costa Rica, Romania. Costa Rica, really? What is he getting Costa Rica? uh, His brother, Frank, uh, decided to become an expert on on the using solar energy in tropical countries to uh, replace fossil fuels and um, signed a big contract to set up uh, solar energy stations in uh, throughout Costa Rica and uh, made millions of dollars as a result of that. Don't tell me Frank knows as much about solar panels as Hunter knows about gas and oil. That's right. And there's a story about Frank that people may find fascinating. I don't think people know about it. When Frank was, uh, Frank is six years older than Joe. And when Frank was uh, 21, and so Joe was 28, uh, he was driving a Jaguar. And uh, the the guy he was driving it with uh, had his license suspended. And uh, the guy who was licensed was suspended, took the wheel and drove the car while Frank Biden did the stick shift. Uh, shifted the gears and they zoomed up to a speed of over 80 miles an hour and killed two children, two girls. No, I'm sorry, did not. They killed the father of two girls. Uh-huh. And, 
uh, he and then he his state sued for wrongful death, and they collected against the uh, driver. But Frank Biden escaped punishment, skipped town, didn't answer the summons, and hid out at Joe's house. And then subsequently got these millions of dollars in contracts from Costa Rica and other countries and never satisfied the verdict of a quarter of a million dollars for each of the two children for losing their father. Um, is Joe Biden truly, is he the head of this crime family? I mean, I have a difficulty describing him uh, as a some sort of criminal mastermind. This guy is one fall away from a long-term care facility. He doesn't you know, know where he is half the time. You know, Giganti, the criminal in Greenwich Village, the mod uh, guy, and he used to pretend he was insane, walking around in his bathrobe in winter. And yeah, he made a chin. Yeah. yeah, the chin. And he did that to escape punishment, to escape judgment. I think Joe Biden is in the same category. I think Joe has been a mastermind criminal ever since he became vice president. Let me give you some facts. When Joe Biden left the U.S. Senate and began his service as vice president, after 36 years in the Senate, his net worth was $21,000. He accumulated no money. He was the poorest senator and therefore probably the most honest. In the four years between his vice presidency and his presidency, he raked in over $20 million, most of it from bribes from China and Ukraine, and a salary of almost a million dollars from the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, so he only accumulated wealth recently, accumulated a lot of it, did it through his contacts and corruption, using Hunter and his other siblings as the, as the pawns that he would send around to do it. And, uh, and that's how they made their money. And don't doubt for a minute that Joe Biden knew about every penny, was in control of every penny, and was in complete control of this process. Do investigators have the receipts? Do they exist at the Treasury Department? Because I don't know, this seems very difficult to prove. Well, the Comer's Committee is getting bank records for everybody, and they're coming out with very significant real proof, including proof of $200,000 that James gave Joe um, to repay him for bailing him out from uh, for health insurance investment that he made. And the information I just gave you about uh, about his paying off his tax lien by getting a government loan through his brother. Um, and there were many stories like that, and they were all coming true, and they were all being documented very extensively by the Comer Committee. Uh, no personal author has subpoena power, but Comer does, and he's really using it. And I think this will become basic, the basis of impeachment of Joe Biden, that I think is probably going to pass the House won't pass the Senate, but it'll give us a complete picture of this man's criminal activities. And I think we'll be fatally handicapped him in the race. Not my uh, that check that Marjorie Taylor Greene was talking about, you know, this is the smoking gun that was given to, uh, it was signed by um, James Biden to Joe Biden for 200000 It was dated 2018. Yeah. Um, so explain that because he wasn't, he wasn't vice president then. He, uh, most of his bribes took place in 17, 18, 19, and 20, in between his vice presidency and his presidency. And uh, the Chinese knew that he was 
the presumptive or likely Democratic candidate. Uh, they knew as the election approached, certainly, that he was a significant guy and worth bribing. And uh, and he was also designated by Obama to be the point man in determining how the administration worked with Ukraine uh, and uh, and some of the other Eastern European countries like Romania. And he had a lot to do with determining our policy toward them. Good example of that influence is that uh, his his uh, son Hunter uh, was inv- an investor in uh, an energy company in Ukraine, knowing nothing about energy. He was an investor. He got a board seat. Right, Burisma, yeah, Burisma, yeah. And uh, when the district attorney in in Ukraine was investigating them and zeroed in on on Hunter Biden's role, uh, Joe got the guy fired. Uh, at Hunter's request and bragged about it at a press conference. So he used the power he had as vice president, the entree he had with the Obama White House, his prestigious name, and then as the election of 2000 approached, his looming presidency to exert his influence. And he made money like bandit, hand over fist, whereas he'd basically never done that before. Uh, Dick, we'll take a final time out and come back, discuss more uh, corrupt. The inside story of Biden's dark money. Dick Morris, New York Times bestselling author, stays with us back with more in a moment. The bull session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk Saga 960 a.m. And we're back. A few minutes remain with Dick Morris, New York Times bestselling author. The new one, Corrupt, the inside story of Biden's dark money. How do we pick up a copy, Dick? You can it, they at the moment you order it and then they print it to order and send it to you. And so you'll get it in about two days. And um, it's it really it's the it's it's the guide you need to understand the Biden corruption, not only the money in, but what the money in did. Why, for example, can China get away with saying no American company can move to China without revealing in advance all of their trade secrets, all of their intellectual property? The answer is that Biden lets them do it. There are no sanctions on China for doing that. There are no tax penalties for complying with their demands. And uh, he is, Biden has just given China a pass on every single aspect of policy in return for the bribes he's got. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. During the 2020 uh, presidential debates, uh, Donald Trump brought up the um, the, the, the money that came from um, the wife of uh, Moscow's former mayor, who was uh, corrupt. Right. Uh, 
and and he was shut down by um, uh, Chris Wallace, uh, but Joe Biden was. But uh, of course, Trump turned out to be uh, correct. The Bidens received. I don't know how much it was. Uh, and then she avoided any sanctions. The yep. wife of a uh, Moscow mayor. Uh, the other Russians for working against Ukraine. This guy was the head of the company that made drone missiles, drone planes to hit the Ukrainians. And his wife and he completely avoided sanctions. At one point, they sanctioned his son, but he escaped sanctions entirely. And that was direct, obviously directly Biden's intervention. What was the payoff there? Uh, At least $4 million. And also the wife of the the mayor, the wife of the mayor of Moscow, who happens to be the richest woman in Russia, uh, said that she wants to do 80 million in investments in U.S. real property and had Biden looking for investment opportunities. Uh, New Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, representative from Louisiana. He's a Trump supporter. Um, I don't know him personally. I'm just very relieved that he exists. I yes. This fight was absolutely contrived and unnecessary and clashes of ego and politicians wanting their, their due. And I think, thank God it's over. It was giving the Republican Party a black eye and paralyzing the government from giving it yeah. the aid it needs. But now that he is in charge... Uh, or he is the speaker. Do you expect to see the um, impeachment investigation accelerate? And do you expect to see this leading to, uh, I don't know, are we going to see sub- subpoenas? Uh, who do you expect the House to subpoena now that Mike Johnson has the gavel? Who would you like to see subpoenaed? Well, I think Joe, I think Hunter will be subpoenaed. I think as you lead up the evidence train, I think Joe will be subpoenaed. I think James and Frank Biden also will be subpoenaed. And we have to realize that we're about to go into a presidential race where one candidate is under indictment and the other is under impeachment. Uh, The difference is that the alleged crimes that Donald Trump did are fictitious. They're ridiculous. The assumption that he was trying to overthrow the government by challenging election fraud. But the stuff Biden did is very serious and compromised national security. And while the media is biased against covering anything that's helpful to Trump, uh, as the facts of this come out through the investigation of impeachment, I think it's going to be more and more damning against Biden. Uh, If it goes to impeachment, passes the House, then it goes to the Senate, uh, for conviction, the Dems have a, a, a majority there. Uh, yeah. If it's painfully obvious uh, through these investigations in the House that the, everything that you've written about is true, the, the the Biden's crime family, and we start to see an indication in the polls, I think we already are, that this is an incredibly corrupt president. Do, do the Dems do themselves even more damage uh, by refusing to convict in the Senate uh, in twenty in the 2024 election. Yes, they do. Huge damage. Uh, before we get to the issue of the verdict, there's got to be a trial in the Senate. And that's going to result in airing of all of this dirty laundry and testimony about all of these side, these deals that Joe Biden made. So that's going to be a very important media opportunity for the election coming up. Look, Donald Trump is on a track to win this election. He's going to lose in court and he'll win at the ballot box. And I told him this. I said, you you got to expect to be uh, lose some of these verdicts, but you're going to win the ultimate verdict, the election. 
because people have concluded that you did nothing wrong, that all you were doing was hollering about an election result that you and and 40 percent of the country thought was fraudulent and may in fact have been. And what Joe Biden did was to uh, sell America out in every way you can imagine to China, Romania, uh, Kazakhstan, uh, Ukraine, uh, Costa Rica, Cuba and a host of other countries. Once again, how do we get a copy of Corrupt, the inside story of Biden's dark money? Amazon.com and you order it and they will send it right to you. Dick, thank you so much as always. Okay, thanks for the time. Dick Morris. All right, when we come back, Joe Warmington, Toronto Sun. Let's find out what this uh, vigil for the martyrs is all about happening at Queen's Park in just over an hour. Stay with us. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, Joe Warmington is here, Toronto Sun. Time is tight. We did. I wanted to talk to you about uh, this Yara Jamal, um, who works at CTV Atlantic, um, CTV News in Atlantic, uh, Canada, uh, originally from uh, uh, Palestine, she says, and um, basically says that Israel can no longer exist. So, you know, as uh, you pointed out, Joe, we heard from a cop. We heard uh, some cops on social media who were sort of peddling the same nonsense. We heard from a, a Canada pilot, a union head, uh, an, uh, an NDP, MPP. And now we're hearing this uh, anti-Semitic drivel from people who toil in the vineyards of our mainstream news media. Uh, tell us more about this Yara Jamal. Yeah, in addition to that, I mean, her views, I, mean, I guess she's entitled to them, but it's interesting because she she's sort of uh, billed as starting, you know, uh, organizing this protest, and yet she's also a reporter with CTV News. So I think the readers or the listeners, all that, viewers, need to know if someone's actually a participant in it. Now, I know those lines are blurred nowadays. Things are different. And, you know, in my case, I'm a columnist. So if I, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be able to go on protest. But if you wanted to sit down and, and have, you know, a conversation like I did uh, at the Landwehr restaurant with uh, Kevin Bond, you know, yes. we were at lunch, but we talked about it. That, you know, that, that wouldn't be something a reporter would, would, would do. But it's, as a columnist, I was running a column about having lunch with this guy at a restaurant that was under siege because it's Jewish. Uh, but you can't go in and organize a protest and be speaking at it and also covering it. Now, I'm not saying she was covering it, but CTV News was asked about it. They, they were very slow in responding to it. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I hate to see anybody lose their job except for maybe that pilot here in Canada. I think that was, but uh, you know, I think that they need to be reminded that when they work for a big company or for the state, um, you know, that they, these allegiances have to be to the people they serve and not to their political agenda. Yeah, you, you point out in your column, uh, Joe, that imagine if someone uh, who worked for a news organization uh, was writing or posting online social media that it's okay for Muslims to exist, but not the Muslim ideology. They'd be fired instantly. Uh, you know, it's interesting because today I actually had a cup of coffee with Don Cherry out at his uh, place and Justin Shaker Vandette was out there getting some stuff signed and they, they called me and said, we're having Tim Hortons, why don't you come over? I went over there and we were talking about that there, that how quickly Dawn was canceled and they all piled on, the whole country did, CTV too. Um, and, you know, he didn't really say anything. I mean, so what? He said that, you know, 
whatever it was, wear a poppy. You know, you people like our milk and honey. But he, he didn't say anything racist. They just took it as if he did say something racist, and they canceled him. And they took away his legacy and his salary, and all of them went on about their way. They're, none of them are perfect. And yet you've got all these other people that, you know, are talking. I mean, don't forget that in the uh, Palestinian case, I mean, they, they slaughtered uh, 1,400 people. I mean, it's horrific. It's, it's basically a second Holocaust. And then, of course, uh, you know, obviously there's other issues that have been going on in that region since 1948. And it's hard, though, to, to kind of go there when we're still in, dealing with this, this homicidal, you know, genocidal Holocaust that happened yeah. right before our eyes, and they want to blow it off. So, well, which uh, brings know, a us, lot of us uh, yourself, yeah. So it brings us to tonight's um, happening at Queens Park at seven o'clock. It's called "Glory to Our Martyrs." That sounds, uh, I don't know, kind of chilling. When I think of what a martyr is, you know, dying a hero for a particular cause, uh, they're not talking about you know, the IDF. What's going on here? Yeah, they're having it at the north end of Queens Park. Ironically, where the you know the uh, 48th Highlanders War Memorial was desecrated. Uh, but you're you're right. I mean, that was my reaction when I saw it first thing this morning. A martyr's vigil is a violent uh, thing in 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 many countries. I'm not saying it's going to be here, but it's not something. It's anti-Semitic. It's anti-Israel. And it's uh, these this group, uh, Toronto for Palestine, which are very aggressive and they're pushing the envelope. I've got this column up now, and I make the point that basically they're in charge now because, as I said, Don Cherry couldn't say what he said. And these guys can say anything they want to say. They can threaten people. I mean, I'm not saying them specifically, but there has been Jewish people that have had people come to the doors and call them out, and they're stealing things from, from the property. You know, we've seen the thing about the restaurant and the different things that are going on, and, you know, it seems like people are just turning a blind eye to it. Now, in the case of the police, I'm not blaming the police. It's more the political uh, people. You know, you got Mayor Olivia Chow, who didn't, uh, you know, say anything at all on the weekend uh, when when you it know took her two days. Took her two days. Yeah, took her two days. But but now she's out with the Toronto Raptors mascot and and hemming it up like there's nothing going on in the city. I don't even know why she's the mayor. I mean, really, you know, like I like her and all that, but. Like, if she's not going to be the mayor, she shouldn't be the mayor. I mean, I'll take Tory back anytime, uh, even with his infidelity. It's funny they don't mind that with the, you know, other people in, in office. But at least he would go to stuff and, and participate. Yeah, she's, com- uh, she's, she's, completely she's completely out of her depth. Yeah, she's completely out of her depth. There's no question. It's not right. You know, like, there's people that are very afraid right now. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. 
This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Why not have a vigil where where Jews and, and Muslims and Christians and Hindus and everyone else gets together at Queens Park, lights a candle for peace, for for the safety of, of innocent people. Uh, what a wonderful unifying moment that would be. Uh, instead, we have this glory to our martyrs vigil happening right here in Canada, where no doubt they will be um, celebrating the, the butchers in Hamas who were uh, executing Holocaust survivors, babies, raping women, murdering children. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, Go no, ahead. I was just going to say, it's a good suggestion, a good suggestion Richard. Uh, it, it makes too much sense, but it, but it is, you know, we're, we're Canadian here. Uh, we're not in the Middle East. We're not any of those places. Uh, some of us have been there. Some of us haven't been there. But, uh, you know, you do have to wonder why, why we can't uh, get back to the Canadian values. It was called Toronto the Good. That's my column now. Hopefully people on torontosun.com because I'm pointing out some of these things that need to be said. Look, we're all concerned about everybody. I mean, you don't want to see a Palestinian family uh, be hurt or what have you. I mean, of course not. Uh, and, and so we're, you're right. We're all simpatico on this stuff. But we're not going to gloss over the most Jews killed in one day since the Holocaust. Sorry, ain't happening. And we're not going to gloss over people that are trying to shut down the Jewish restaurant. Not happening. And when a mosque was uh, desecrated, we covered that. And the Toronto police went out and charged somebody. It's not happening. We're not letting this happen. They're not going to ruin our country and our city. We're going to stand up for it. And, uh, you know, all this stuff that's going on uh, in the other parts of the world, we'll follow it and we pray, but it shouldn't be happening here. And that's, that's my feeling on it, and that's why I wrote the column I did today. Joe, great job as always. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, buddy. Stay safe. Uh, you too. You just do an outstanding job, and I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Joe Warmington, torontosun.com. Joe uh, again, torontosun.com. Joe's a great guy. All right. When we come back this week in rock history, let's lighten things up just a little bit, shall we? Back with more in a moment. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. This week in rock history. Well, sometimes it's this day in rock history, but sometimes the pickings are a little slim. So we call it this week in rock history. And it was actually uh, this day in rock history, October 25th, back in 1999, when this song charted big time. Smooth, really a part of that great album, Supernatural, massive, massive popular album on this day in 1999, went uh, on to win. Well, well, we'll get all the details right now from our good friend, JT, Jeremiah Tittle, co-host of the 500 with Josh Adam Myers podcast. JT, welcome back. How are you, buddy? So good to be here with you, Richard. Santana, Supernatural. I remember when this album came out. I mean, this was monster, monster for them. Tell me more. It really was. And the backstory on how this came to be is pretty interesting. I've, I found that, uh, so Santana told his previous record label head, Chris 
Blackwell is the founder of Island Records. They had not been seeing, you know, big chart toppers or or selling that many albums in the previous two albums. And uh, so Carlos Santana goes to Chris Blackwell and says, I have a masterpiece album in me, uh, but I just don't feel like this is the right label to do that. Um, Blackwell subsequently he went to Santana's home in Sausalito, California, tried to change his mind and Santana persisted and he didn't have to actually pay compensation to have the early termination of their contract. Uh, started talking to Clive Davis. Everybody knows uh, at mm-hmm. the time president of Arista, um, who actually had originally signed the group Santana to Columbia in 1969, 30 years prior. Wow. Um, Santana really wanted to focus on pop and radio friendly materials. So what did Clive Davis do? He put him in touch with some smart A&R folks and they got all these current artists, Dave Matthews, Lauren Hill, Eric Clapton, CeeLo Green, and of course, Rob Thomas. Yeah. Um, and now the stats on this album are ridiculous. I mean, it's Santana's best album a best-selling album to date, the best-selling album by a Hispanic artist in music history, and one of the best albums of all time, best-selling albums of all time, 30 million copies worldwide. Wow. Topping the U.S. album chart, Supernatural, and of course, this song Smooth featuring Rob Thomas on, on vocals. Uh, went oh, Eight Grammys, I think. Um, this has to be, I don't know if anyone checks this, but it must be, a, it's got to be like considered the greatest I don't know if we can call it comeback in, in musical history. Like, as you say, they debuted in 1969. They played at Woodstock. And then yeah. 30 years later to have this monster album. Is that kind of a record, do you think? Yeah. I mean, you hear these comebacks from time to time. But, I mean, this was just astronomical. I just double-checked. Actually, won nine Grammys for it, oh, uh, which was breaking the record that Michael Jackson's Thriller uh, had as the most honored album prior to that winning album of the year, et cetera, best rock album, just a phenomenal story. Um, all right. So um, let's just talk about uh, this, something that happened later this week, actually tomorrow in rock history, back in 1991, legendary concert promoter, Bill Graham killed in a helicopter uh, copter accident along with his uh, girlfriend uh, and, and the pilot. 60-year-old 60 60 year San Francisco music impresario. What did Bill Graham really mean to the, to the music industry? He was huge. I mean, he was right dead center in the middle of, you know, the, the 60s um, flower power movement and, and uh, promoted so many huge acts. Uh, and they really turned out when when he passed away. I mean, a lot of the I'm a big student of Bill Graham. My first uh, job in radio was working at Clear Channel, now iHeart um, and Live Nation really was born out of everything that Bill Graham, Bill Graham Presents did. Um, but at his death, you know, he uh, little details are about it. He was uh, going he went to a Huey Lewis in the news concert in, in Concord. Um, and after securing uh, Huey Lewis's commitment to play a charity benefit uh, concert uh, to help the victims of the 91 Oakland Hills firestorm. Uh, he got in his helicopter and unfortunately bad weather ran into a high voltage tower uh, not far away from there in Marin County. So um, so after the death in tribute, the San Francisco Civic Auditorium was renamed the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium. That's still called the Bill, the Bill Graham um, venue now. And uh, just a, uh, about a week later, and this is just to show the power of Bill Graham, 
uh, and his impact on music, November 3rd, uh, a free concert called Laughter, Love and Music was held at Golden Gate Park to honor Graham Golden Khan. Uh, estimated 300,000 people showed up to see Santana, Grateful Dead, John Fogarty, Robin Williams, Journey reunited, and Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young reunited. Huge. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And of course, we associate Bill Graham with some of those uh, legendary venues where he was booking acts at the Fillmore and the Winterland Ballroom. Went on to play uh, such uh, huge roles in the uh, the uh, the rise of bands like The Who, the Jimi Hendrix Experience, Janis Joplin, the band, Bob Dylan, just a who's who. Uh, it was um, October 26, 1991, the death of Bill Graham. Just got a little bit of time for this one. Another noted death that happened to the anniversary on uh, Wednesday. Jacob, please. Satellite's gone up to the sky. October 27, 2013, we lost another giant singer, songwriter, poet, art, rock, pioneer, Lou Reed, dead at the age of 71. Talk to me about the uh, the importance of uh, Lou Reed on sort of the New York underground rock scene. You know, I don't think I could do it justice, but I'll try. Uh, I love Velvet Underground, um, famous for... Uh, what's the phrase about uh, everybody started a band because they thought they could after listening to the noise that Velvet Underground created. Um, and then in his, you know, poetry and, and his solo career inducted to the rock and roll hall of fame. I mean, Lou Reed is the kind of person that had these reverberations, these ripple effect across music when he died, Pearl Jam dedicated their song, man of the hour to him at their show in Baltimore that night. And then they played I'm Waiting for the Man, uh, The Killers, uh, My Morning Jacket, Arctic Monkeys, Fish. Lana Del Rey actually has said that Reed was supposed to record backing vocals on her single Brooklyn Baby on that very day of his death. He was fully entrenched in the music scene and people had so much respect for him. October 27th, 2013, at the age of 71, Lou Reed, This Week in Rock History. How do we listen to the 500 with Josh Adam Myers? Open up any podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera. Search The 500 with Josh Adam Myers. And today, one of my favorite comedians, David Cross, is talking about The Replacements, Let It Be. Oh, wow. David Cross is fantastic. All right. Jeremiah, thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Richard. That is it for me. My thanks to Jody and Jacob and Mike Carefalitis on traffic. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again. God willing, I'll speak with you at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. 
The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.